Take your Bibles and make your way to our, our text, which is, as you should know by now, is found in Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, first chapter. And uh, I'm going to only deal really with that verse right there, verse 24. One verse. And there's a reason for that. Probably one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted verses used as a proof text that Christ's redemptive work on the cross was not enough. And that we must add to Christ's redemptive work our own works and our own sufferings in order to fill up that which is lacking. That phrase is in this verse, but the context is all wrong. And that's why I say context is king. I've often said, too, that if you take and remove the text from that which is around it, you're left with a con. And that's what's happened over the years of church history. Entire denominations have taken a left turn using this verse as a proof text. And it diminishes the suffering of Christ on the cross for our sins. So do you think this might be important? I assure you that it is. The scripture says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24, let me read it for you. And then I will make one statement and we'll read the rest of the text. The next screen, please. I now rejoice in my suffering. This is Paul talking for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, do you understand that when you read that, we're going to come back and read this whole passage here in a second. But it kind of sounds like, go back to verse 24 there, if you would. It does kind of sound like he's saying that Christ, there's something lacking in Christ's suffering for the church. I think contextually we need to look at that. There's some grammar issues there that we're going to look at in a moment. So grammatically, historically, and theologically, we need to declare the truth of what Paul is saying. And it's, it's not terribly hard to figure out what he's actually saying versus what it might appear he's saying at first blush. So let me read it again. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ... For the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which, Paul is saying, I became a minister or a servant according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. Notice that. God gave Paul that job for you, for the believers, specifically the Gentile believers, to fulfill the word of God. God's plan was always that the gospel would go to all people. The mystery, that's something that was concealed and is now revealed in Christ. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. And that mystery is the gospel. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, we preach Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, 
striving according to his working, which works mightily in me. This is Paul talking about serving and suffering for the gospel. Um, one of the commentators I read said this, and I want to open with this quote because I think it's, it, it puts it into a perspective when it comes to suffering. He said this, The vast region of human sorrow is the most dark and dreary desert. But if we saw truly, we should find many streams of refreshment, many sunny spots, on all sides, evidences of the divine tenderness. Here we find Paul at home in the region of suffering, rejoicing amid the mysteries which fill most men with darkness. Now, if I said to you today, hey, I'm going to send out a suffering sign-up sheet. Occasionally we'll have sign-up sheets in here for stuff that we're doing. So whoever wants to suffer for the gospel this week, go ahead and put your name down. I wonder how many names I would have on that by the end. Not many. But Paul, the apostle, thinks differently. Matter of fact, the commentator Barlow said this, and I think it will come up on the screen. Nature shrinks from suffering. It is altogether above nature to triumph in it. It is Christianity alone that inspires us with joy in tribulation. Think about that. Christianity is a little strange in that, isn't it? That we rejoice in our trials. We joy in suffering. Because we know there is an eternal purpose to it. But the question of the day is, what is that eternal purpose? Is that eternal purpose that your suffering, your sorrow, your hard times in this life battling against sin, is that eternal purpose that you enter into your own redemption, the own payment and penalty for your own sin? Or is it something different? And in verse 24 begs that question as we read it. And he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. How can Paul say that? How can Paul say he rejoiced? And why is he suffering for them? Well, let's rehearse a couple things here. Let's just talk historically. When you think of the Apostle Paul, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Somebody tell me. Apostle Paul. Persecution. Persecution. On both sides, right? He was the persecutor of the church. He literally put people like you and I to death because of Christ, which they thought was a new cult in Judaism. And then what happens to Paul? Yeah, he's on the way to Damascus to do what? Put Christians in... Well, they weren't called Christians yet. They were called followers of the way. Uh, they were, he, was, he was headed to Damascus with authoritative letters to arrest people who were in this new cult. And instead, he got arrested by a higher authority. <laughs> Amen. What a beautiful, what a beautiful historical account that is. But here's something. Remember what happened? He he is blinded. 
And no, that is not where the song Blinded by the Light comes in. That is not a theological or a church song. <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> you both age yourself and uh, also tell us where your heart is, but I digress. <laughs> um, he's blinded. He's struck blind by this light. And isn't it interesting, the man that is headed to Damascus with such boldness for the traditions of his fathers, thinking he was, listen to me, thinking he was doing the very work of God, and in power and determination, he heads towards Damascus, and on the way, he meets the risen Christ, and the Bible says they had to lead him the rest of the way. What a difference between the man who, who left for Damascus and the Paul who got to Damascus. Amen? We know he was riding a horse with great boldness and anticipation and zealous for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we know that as he comes into Damascus, he is being led by the hand as a helpless, blind man who could finally see. Right? And you remember, it's the most amusing story. It's the most amusing history. God knocks on this guy's heart and talks to him. What was his name? An An Ananias? And he says, hey, uh, I got Saul over here. And by the way, Saul was just his Jewish name. You know, people make a big deal out of the name change. Here's the reality. The Jewish way to say that is Shaul, which we would call Saul. The way the Greeks, everybody else, the Romans would say it is Paul. It's just the Jewish name and the Gentile name. He takes a Gentile name because God sends him to the... That's why he's known as Paul. It was all according to this stewardship that he talks about. So poor Ananias is minding his own business, having his time with the Lord. And God says, got a job for you. Go down to the straight street down there. And I got a, I got a guy and he's blinded and you need to go and pray over him. And his name is Saul. He's like, time out, God. <laughs> Do you know who he is and what he came here for? <laughs> By the way, have you ever called some of those timeouts in your time with the Lord? <laughs> time out, God. This is the guy that came to arrest and kill people just like me. And what, is, what message does he get? He said, don't worry about it. You're going to go. And do what I tell you to do, and I'm going. Here's what, here's what the word said. I'm going to go show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It was prophesied over Paul that he would suffer for the gospel. He caused others to suffer, and then he would turn around and be used as an agent. And in that use, he would find out how much he would suffer for the gospel. And I. I have to think that as he writes this under house arrest, that when Paul writes those words, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, I think he's thinking of the prayer of Ananias, Ananias over him and the realization that this suffering is confirmation, prophecy being fulfilled, and he was happy. To suffer. Now, the reason he was suffering is because his name is Paul. He goes by Paul and not Saul anymore. Because he is the, the missionary, the apostle to the Gentiles. And a lot of staunch Jewish people who were just like him had a big problem with that. 
So, so much of his suffering in the gospel was because of who he was bringing the gospel to. So with that mindset, we can begin to understand and, and unpack what Paul is meaning here. He had a specific task from God, a specific, he calls it a stewardship, a calling, a ministry, a job to do, and it was to bring the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to people who weren't Jewish. And he paid for it. Now, it's this next one phrase that's the problem. And I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. So he was suffering for those he was bringing the gospel to. But look at how he qualifies it. And fill up in my flesh. So he was physically suffering. Don't, don't miss that. Fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, what does he mean to fill up in his flesh? It means he physically suffered for the gospel. Look at, look at this passage of scripture. I think it'll come up here on the screen. Um, it is in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 22 to 28. Paul talking here. Here's what Paul says. Are, are they Hebrews? He's talking about his Jewish bread, uh, folks. He says, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So he was being castigated because he was bringing the gospel to people who weren't Jews. And they were basically saying, if you're doing that, then you're not really Jewish. And Paul's saying, come on, you're not even being honest. I'm a Jew. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Me too. Right? Look at the next verse. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. What, what is he saying? Without bragging, Paul's saying, I, I, I've served Christ as much and more than they have. In labors, more abundant. I worked harder. In stripes, that means lashes with a whip, by the way. In stripes, look at this, look at this statement. Above measure. Now, what does that mean? Huh? Yeah. Well, and there was actually, right, too many to count. But there was a limit of what someone could be struck with a whip. Because if you go over that limit and they die, then their death is on your hands. And the thought is here that the people who even did the, the whipping of Paul were so angry that they even ignored the, the legal limits of the stripes and gave him more, risking their own life because of their hatred towards Paul. And in other words, and what Angie said, it didn't happen just once, above measure. He said, I lost count how many times I have been given stripes. In prisons, more frequently, Paul the Apostle started the first prison ministry. And didn't he? <laughs> right? And then look at this one. In deaths, what? And deaths often. Well, how many times did he die? Well, he was left for dead on more than one occasion. So, next verse. From the Jews, now he's going to get specific. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. There's your limit. There's your measure. So, 39 stripes. Because if you, if you hit him 40 times and he dies, now you're guilty. Five times. And, and by the way, in case you wonder about that, think no big deal. 
39 stripes, five times. A lot of people did not physically survive going through that one time. He did it five. You imagine what his back looked like and his chest and stomach? That man must have been a mass of scars. Look at the next verse. Three times I was beaten with rods. Okay, so the whipping wasn't enough. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not in the Colorado sense. That's like with rocks. I said that because I know some of you are thinking that. <laughs> and I would need to clarify. And I mean, a stoning was not like I'm throwing rocks at you. That's like crush your head in with rocks and, and break your neck and, 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 and cave your skull in and leave you for dead. And they thought he was dead. But he wasn't. It gets worse. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. I spent a whole night and an entire day in the ocean, floating around. I mean, how many of you are signing up for his missionary journey? In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robber, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, the very people he's going to, in perils in the city, in perils, I can't even get away from it, in the wilderness. In perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. And perils among false brethren. What is Paul saying? There's no place that's safe for me. Look at this, 27. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things. In other words, there's more. <laughs> what comes upon me daily? He said, worse than all of that is what I suffer for my deep concern for all the churches that are being birthed around the world. Paul said that my concern, my stress over these churches are a greater suffering than all that physical stuff. I just, did Paul suffer? Oh, man. He sure did. He sure did. So when he says there that I fill up in my flesh, he just gave us a little bit of a punch list of what he meant. Paul literally bore the scars to back up his testimony in his letter to the Colossians. Someone said that scars are the signature of adventure. And Paul had a bunch. And he said, I bore, I, I took all that in my body. I have physically suffered. But then look what he said. This is the part that's a little bit wonky. Check this out. I, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now that's where things get a little weird. Can we? So he's going to fill up in his flesh, this is the odd part, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Two thoughts here. That, there are two questions that must be answered. Where is this lack? Now it appears in the text that the, this lack is in the afflictions of Christ. In other words, the afflictions that Christ suffered. 
That's not how the grammar gives it. Literally what Paul is saying here is that the lack is in himself. I got a quota of suffering from the Holy Spirit and I'm not filled up yet. <laughs> and I'm suffering right along with Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering for Christ and with Christ. And what's lacking is not, what, not Christ's suffering. It's my suffering that Christ has ordained for me for his sake. Can anybody possibly see that? And that's not steer wrangling the text. That's how the grammar bears that out. There's nothing lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Here's the other important thing. Um, and I'm going to give this to you, and then I'm going to give you a quote from theologian Adam Clark, the commentator. Is there are two different words for suffering. One is redemptive, and one is not. One specific Greek word deals with the passion of Christ. And when I say that, I mean Christ's redemptive work on the cross of Calvary for the sin of mankind. <clears throat> and then there's another word that's the word afflictions or suffering. And that word is not redemptive. It means something altogether different. Here's what Adam Clark said. It is, a, it is worthy of remark that the apostle does not say does not use the word specifically for the passion of the Christ, in other words, Christ's cross work, but simply for the afflictions of Christ, such as are common to all good men who bear a testimony against the ways and fashions of a wicked world. In other words, if you live right, do right, the world isn't going to like it and you're going to pay a price. You're going to suffer afflictions for the cause of righteousness. These are not redemptive. These are natural in these, the apostle has had his share. In the passion of Christ, he could have none. Hear that. He, Christ, trod the winepress of the wrath of God alone. Of the people there, of the people, there were none with him. Isn't that interesting? I love that phrase. He trod the winepress of the wrath of God alone. So this word suffering here is this Greek word for afflictions. And there is a very specific word for the work that Christ did on the cross. And that word is purposely not used here. This is not the sufferings of Christ that he is filling up in his own flesh is something that he is enjoining as a result of fulfilling his call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he just gave you a list of it in 2 Corinthians. It has nothing to do with any shortfall of the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Because there's a very specific word for that, and it is very specifically not used here. Instead, the word for physical suffering um, as a result of righteousness is the word that is used. And it is so very important that we understand this. The word afflictions is never used, this specific word for afflictions, is never used of the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Most commentators see this as a reference to the affliction that Jesus endured in, in ministry. Did Jesus endure affliction in his ministry? Yes. These afflictions are not yet complete. And in this sense, Jesus still suffers 
as he ministers through his people. So let me give you a couple of quotes and see if I can explain this. Here's one by Robertson says this, Paul attaches no atoning value whatever to his own sufferings for the church. He does not. This is not Paul saying that I'm, I'm helping Jesus save you. That's not what he's saying. He could have said that and used a specific word and he chose not to through the Holy Spirit. Here's another quote. The term afflictions of Christ is never associated with the redemptive suffering of Jesus on the cross. It speaks rather of those ministerial sufferings which Paul bears because he represents Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means because of rep representing Christ, because of a commitment to the gospel, there is a price to be paid, and sometimes it's physical. And you saw the list of Paul's physical price. Does that make sense? That's what he's talking about. Nothing lacking in Jesus, but he is filling up in his flesh that which is lacking for himself yet in the sufferings of Christ. I've been dealing with a dear brother. If I said his name, you would know him, so I won't. He is literally living out this verse right now in ministry. And I'm going to tell you what, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, truly born again by His Holy Spirit, you're going to, you're going to live out this verse. You are going to fill up in your life, and even in your flesh possibly, the sufferings of Christ that are ordained for you. Amen? Because if, if, if we love Him, we will tell the truth, and the world hates the truth. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And this brother, when he called me with the last pin to drop in his ministerial nightmare, broken young man. And it's one thing when the preacher's attacked. It's another thing when his wife is attacked. I'm, I'm pretty, I can handle some stuff. You can come at me, but you come at my wife and we got a, you got a whole different me to deal with. Amen, men? Amen. Yeah. And this guy was broken. And I went here to this passage. I said, brother, let me tell you what you're going through. You are filling up in your own life, in your own ministry, in your own body that which is lacking yet and you're suffering with Christ. You are, you are being counted worthy to experience that deep relational sorrow that Christ feels. And not everybody gets to do that. And in that, I attempted to encourage him. And I attempt to encourage you. Does this make sense this morning? However, there are those who are averse to this gospel of God's free grace. And they are among us, and they have been among us for hundreds of years. And I think sometimes we want to be nice and kind. And so we, I know I've told a brethren in my DLT group, or my D group this morning, that I felt I had been guilty of this of not wanting to be too hard on any specific group. And I'm not here to point fingers to other, other denominations. I'm here to put up the mirror of God's word. And I don't care who, who you are, you need to see. You judge your life against that. But there are entire ministries out there that are an anti-gospel. 
And they use this verse to say, look, here's our proof text. Jesus suffered on the cross for you, but there's something for you to add to it. You've got to add your own suffering. You say, people really believe that? Absolutely. And I take this as a quote from their own um, website trying to explain justification by grace through faith. This is from a Roman, Catholic, a Roman Catholic website. And here's what they say. Quote, Christ desires for us to participate in His passion. When you hear passion, think His redemptive work on Calvary. Christ desires for us to participate in His passion and thus suffering in the body of Christ has a redemptive role because baptized Christians are part of the mystical body of Christ. I'm reading what, what they have written themselves and explaining their version of the gospel. So in other words, you've got to help save yourself. When you suffer, it's helping save you. It's part of your salvation. I continue. Jesus Christ, the head of the body, asks His members to participate not only in His resurrection and grace, but also in the suffering of His passion, His cross work. St. Paul firmly evinces this doctrine in Colossians 1.24. There you are. That's why I bring it up today. Keep, I'm, I'm going to continue. Quote, This does not mean that Christ's redemption is lacking or that His suffering was not enough for the redemption of the world. It only means that we are chosen to offer up our suffering for the expiation of, and then they tell us what that means, making a compensatory payment to God for the temporal punishment deserved by our sin. You are paying for your sin. Christ merits our redemption and forgives our sins, but the punishment and penance for our selfish actions must still be. Paul's letter to the Colossians notes that by offering our own sufferings for the body of Christ, we can make up for those members of the body of Christ whose sufferings are lacking. Thus, the body of Christ, the Catholic Church, others offers the collective suffering of its members for the expiation of temporal punishment and follows in the passion and sufferings of the head of the body of Christ, Jesus Christ. So in other words, once you've filled up your suffering, you can then suffer for other people so they can eventually get out of purgatory and be fully accepted. You must participate. The Roman Catholic doctrine document here claims to explain justification by faith. And what they're basically saying is that the death of Christ, this is interesting, that the death of Christ restores you to grace, to a state of grace where you're right with God. But you have to add your sufferings to the sufferings of Christ in order to remain in a state of salvation. I have a name for that. It's called backloading the gospel. So in other words, Christ gets you to zero. Then it's up to you to, to, to keep yourself there by adding suffering and works and then once you get yourself paid for, then you can start paying for your relatives who didn't make it. Interesting idea, but you won't find it in the pages of this book. 
And for too long, I have backed away from that for the sake of people's feelings. And I want to tell you here today, if you have friends or family that are part of the Roman Catholic Church, they are not okay. They need to hear the true gospel, the free grace of God. You must evangelize them with the truth of the gospel. The Catholic Church teaching this doctrine, this is what they stand on, it's built around this, is literally confirming people to an eternity without Christ because they're causing us to trust in our works instead of the entirety of the work of Jesus on our behalf. This is a false gospel. This is not what Paul is saying here. If he wanted to say that, he could have very easily just changed that word for affliction to the word that means the passion, the redemptive suffering of Christ on the cross. It's used in many other places in the New Testament, specifically in Paul's writing, and he purposely does not use it because he wants us to understand that he must not, will not, may never touch the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. This is just suffering for Christ, with Christ, on account of Christ and the gospel of the death, the burial, and resurrection, and the free grace of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I told the men this morning, I know what I'm preaching, but sometimes I wonder what you're hearing. Because how can people sit in here for years under the preaching of the free grace of God and not yet understand and still think that we have something to add and that it matters not? We're all in one big family. But I want to tell you the truth. We are in the family of man. We're born into Adam's family, and if we stay there, we spend eternity separated from God. We must be translated, born again, moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And what causes that to happen through the work of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God is simply this. We come to understand that Jesus is enough. Paul did not say in this verse that he was adding to the work of Christ on the cross, he was saying he was filling up what God ordained for him to suffer for Christ, with Christ. And when people come at you and, and the pain that you feel, that's not yours. Not do, now, I've, I've gotten some pain for the stupid things I've done. Anyone ever got some of that? And, and Peter deals with that. He says, and, and I'm a, this is a very loose Pastor Paul translation. He's basically saying, hey, Bobo, if you're suffering because of your own sin, that's on you. Don't think you've done some great thing for God. You're just an idiot. Now, that's not really how Peter said it, but it's in the Greek in the margin. If, I'll, I'll show it to you later. <laughs> he said, when you're just being stupid, that's on you. But when you're not, when you're being honest and bold and forthright and telling the truth of the gospel and telling people the truth, and you're despised and you suffer, and people come after you, and even when they don't intend to hurt you, the hurt is so deep. You're being accounted worthy to suffer with Christ. And you're filling up what is lacking yet in your own life, in your own ministry, for the glory of Christ. And it reminds, it reminds the, these people in Colossae that Jesus is worth it, that people like Paul are glad to suffer on their behalf the shame of the gospel because the gospel's worth it because Jesus did it all and there's nothing left to do. And that, brothers and sisters, is the truth of this text, the offensive truth. You say, Pastor, you hurt my feelings today. Hey, I come from a, 
I come from that background, from that faith tradition. I understand it. When God opened my father's eyes and he repented of his sins, and God brought him from death to life, it cost him a relationship with his family for years because he left a church that preached the false gospel for the true gospel. And it cost him something. And we, his children, watched him quietly, patiently endure that. And amazingly enough, a number of his family came to faith in Christ <laughs> through his testimony. The gospel matters, folks. It matters. And what Jesus did on that cross, as represented by these elements, was enough. There's nothing left to do. And Paul does not intend to say that in verse 24. He purposely stays very far away from the word of the redemptive suffering of Christ. And he uses the word for afflictions that come as a result of good men standing up for righteousness. It has nothing to do with the cross. I've said it before and I'll say it till I die. We bring nothing to the table. God even brings the table. It's in the shape of a cross. And it reminds me of the old song we used to sing, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross of Christ I cling. May we pray for those who are in darkness yet, but think they are in the light. May we pray for ourselves, that we'd appreciate this free grace gift of God. May you pray for me and others like me, that we would be bold to declare the truth and not worry about your feelings but rather, the Father's well done. People need to be evangelized with the truth who are believing in a false gospel. And that is your job, and that is mine. Do not forget it. Would you pray with